Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Inez Montani. Inez is the co-founder of Explosion, a co-developer of the popular NLP open source library, Spacey, and lead developer of Prodigy. Inez, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Yay, thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you on as well. I've been looking forward to speaking with you for quite some time now. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got started on this path of working at this confluence of open source and AI and Python. How did it all happen? Yeah, so I actually had to try out quite a few things to kind of end up at this point where I found kind of like the perfect job that combines all of the things I like doing and all of kind of my skills and um, things I'm good at. So I initially, like I've always, I've kind of, I've, I've always been into programming. So I, you know, I, I grew up in the, on the internet, like I've, I've made websites when we got our first computer when I was like 11. So I was really into that. So I spent most of my teenage years um, building building websites basically. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't actually choose to go into computer science. So I did, um, my degree in communication science and linguistics, which are also things I was really interested in. I worked in media for a while, but like I was always, I was always kind of programming on the side and doing those kinds of things. So, um, I eventually, I met, um, my co-founder and also the, um, initial spacey author, Matthew Honorable in 2014 here in Berlin. And yeah, we just started working together and we quickly realized that we had very similar ideas about like, you know, building software, um, uh, making making the technology accessible, um, making it usable. Um, and so, yeah, so we eventually we decided to found a company together, Explosion. Initially, we bootstrapped with a bit of consulting and then um, focused 100 uh, percent on product uh, development for developer tools. And yeah, Prodigy was our first product that we launched. Awesome. And so Spacey came before Prodigy, correct? Prodigy is relatively new, right? Um, yeah, Prodigy, I think we launched, uh, it went on sale in like December 2017. So it's actually been out for quite a while. And we've been really, really happy about like, um, you know, the response to it and how well, like how many people have been adopting it. Um, but yeah, Spacey's been there before. Um, Matt, um, basically, he left academia when he realized that like, wow, you know, the technology is becoming a lot more mature. People, companies wanted to use his research code um, and asked him about licensing terms. And he was like, well, you know, if I um, actually focus on this and write a library that's really focused on doing all of this in production and getting stuff done, um, that could be, you know, really useful to people. So, um, yeah, he, st- he developed Spacey. Um, it was, you know, released... Um, open source, and I kind of started working on it pretty much kind of around the same around the time it was first released. So that's when we started working together. Uh, And so as I mentioned in the intro, Spacey is a very popular library. I hear it come up all the time in the context of uh, NLP. But for those that uh, aren't familiar with it, can you maybe share a little bit about what makes it unique and the the philosophy behind it relative to the many other libraries kind of in the NLP landscape? Yeah, sure. So um, Spacey is a library for natural language processing in Python. So basically, if you have lots of text and pretty much any company, any kind of use case, you always end up with lots of text. 
And at some point, you want to find out more about that text that also goes beyond like what you can personally read and also goes beyond a bit of like keyword search. So, you know, we want to find find out like what companies are mentioned, what people, um, who says what and to whom and how are the people, how are there all the things and concepts and ideas related. And so Spacey is a library um, that can help you do that um, using rule based methods, but also um, uh, with uh, using machine learning models. Um, and by training, and you know, that also helps you train your own machine learning models to do these things. And the focus is really specifically on um, industry and production use cases. So I would say that's also where Spacey is a bit different from a lot of other libraries that focus a lot more on research. And you know, research is clearly like also a very important field. But we say, okay, instead of giving you lots of different ways to do one thing, so you can um, you know compare them and uh, you know compare different model architectures, we give you one way to do things. And, you know, one API is, you know, we focus a lot on having a concise API and also having like one implementation that does one thing. Um, and, you know, that and also I think I guess one another thing space is kind of famous for is that it's very fast. So that's another very important kind of goal we set ourselves that like whatever we build and whatever we ship to people has to run fast enough that you can put you can process millions, billions of documents, um, you know, in a time that's feasible for a production use case. I imagine the 900-pound gorilla in the space is NLTK. Uh, is that kind of the the de facto standard for you know folks doing NLP and Python, or uh, is there something else that comes to mind for you? Um, so NLTK is definitely a very popular um, library, and it's also one a library that many people have started working with um, when they and you you know learned NLP. Um, it's very um, it was initially developed for te- teaching and research. Um, so it still has, you know, very wide adoption, but it's also um, very much research focused, um, like a lot of other, um, you know, libraries. We now have, um, you know, also there are lots of implementations that use uh, PyTorch or TensorFlow um, to do NLP, but still there's very, you know, a lot of focus is on, um, you know, really building the model architectures. And we kind of start like uh, kind of on the other side where we say, OK, we give you APIs, um, and basically the whole like, you know, um, container objects and the whole like infrastructure plus optimized statistical models to solve your NLP problems. And you mentioned the uh, that part of it is that it offers kind of facility for rule-based processing in addition to uh, models. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, obviously a lot of the excitement is around machine learning and, and models, but I just did a uh, an interview yesterday. It hasn't been published yet, but we were talking about how, you know, in the real world, you know, in these production use cases, especially at scale, sometimes, you know, it just makes sense to do things with rules. Um, yeah, absolutely. I Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Like, that's also something we see um, a lot. So, you know, what Spacey offers is kind of... Um, Imagine regular expressions, but with like, you know, a lot of additional features that you can take advantage of, because, you know, we can now predict a lot of things about a sentence um, that holds a lot of deeper information. For example, you can find things in, but only if they attach to a verb or you can, you know, use a lot of those like um, linguistic attributes to build a very, very complex or, or also a very simple, straightforward set of rules that lets you extract content or, um, on information that you're looking for. And especially actually if com- combined with statistical models, rule-based systems can be incredibly powerful. And it's also something we see a lot in, in a lot of industry use cases that actually, yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, the fun part is uh, training all your hip neural network models and fiddling with the hyperparameters. But actually um, in production, what often really makes a difference is um, a really good set of rules that's been tested, validated and built up 
over a long period of time and is really, really specific to the use case. And then that enhanced um, with like so, with some machine learning can actually often be much more effective than like an end-to-end approach. Are there any use cases that come to mind as you know, particularly exciting or even surprising? Wow, I never would have imagined someone would have <laughs> done this with uh, this code that we wrote. I mean, in, in general, like I'm one thing I'm always very, you know, excited about or like what that was very eye opening was that like it's really there's there's there are no like boundaries in like the industries that um, use NLP. Like, um, you know, often people think, oh, well, of course, the, the large like tech companies or any anyone who's doing something with like all tech modern stuff will be using NLP. But it's like a lot of from aerospace to like, um, I don't know, energy companies, Every, like but everyone has text and everyone uses NLP. So often also when, you know, we have like new, new um, companies who are like, who start using Prodigy or Annotation Tool, we're like, oh, wow, you use Spacey in production and you do NLP. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. But it's still, um, it's basically like, you know, it's, it's not, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, I mean, use, use cases, it's, I, I do, I do have to say that the things that work best are probably not the most like, oh my God, exciting um, use cases. Like, you know, people love to talk about the really like, you know, ed- like cutting edge, like, I don't know, things you could have never guessed, but actually the stuff that works well is just like um, really good old like information extraction. You have some problem, you want to, for example, pre-fill a database with information from natural language text. And that's act- that's the stuff that actually works really, really well. And luckily, it's also kind of the stuff that like offers the biggest, um, I guess, return and um, monetary value to like companies doing that. Mm-hmm. When you say the stuff, that's the stuff that works really, really well. Elaborate on that. Does that mean that it's the stuff that the the library does best, or the stuff that f- folks have the most success in actually implementing, or uh, or something else? Um, I would say actually we're just we're just where NLP in general, where the technology um, or doing machine learning with text actually um, mm-hmm. is has proven to work. Like there are other fields, like you know we we are seeing a lot of like um, you know really cool like achievements in um, even conversational um, stuff, but like it's just that and you know that that just doesn't yet work as well as you know people would maybe you know people on the outside would maybe imagine it to work. Like you still don't have like a magical computer that can answer any question. <laughs> um, whereas, okay. Yeah. But, in, but the kind of, the, the more information extraction stuff, which is also something we kind of uh, focus on a bit because it works so well is really what's, you know, that's, that, that works. We can, you know, we can predict the right things. We can augment, um, you know, the predictions with rules and, um, that's actually, yeah, it's just more successful, um, than other most, more speculative areas. Is Explosion, uh, you and Matt, or is it a bigger company, uh, than that today? So, so it started. It, it started out with only us, and it was only us for quite a while. Um, we're now working um, with a few other people on different types of projects. So, um, you know, we currently have one person working full time together with us um, on cool new features for Spacey, which is really exciting. Um, and then we have um, a few developers working on um, kind of an extension product to Prodigy, which we're um, currently finishing. Um, but we still, we're still a very small company and a very small team, and we also plan on staying a very small team. So that's that's definitely an important part of kind of our strategy. And so when you think about Spacey as an open source project, is the contribution and, and the the code from that primarily contributions made by 
the explosion team or do you have, uh, there's clearly a broad community there, but is it a broad user community or a contributing community or a little bit of both? How, how has that aspect of the project been? So I would say compared to other more um, community open source projects, we still we have still have a fairly small number of like core contributors. Um, that's true. So a lot of also a lot of the sort of direction um, is driven by us, but it's also something that works well because um, you know users use Spacey because they want to have like you know a good implementation, and they're like, okay, you guys do the implementation, and uh, we'll use it, and we'll report bugs, and that's okay, that's fine, that's something we accept. Where we, but where we see a lot of contributions, um, especially like recently, is um, all the language-specific stuff. So, uh, Spacey ships with with a bunch of rules and a bunch of kind of base, um, basically the, the kind of the basic setup for um, all kinds of languages that we support. And that's really where people, even people who are kind of new in the field, can very easily help out. Like you know, you could if you speak or if you know some language, you could maybe add some rules to um, improve the way Spacey can tell what a word is and what's not a word and what's punctuation, for example, or, you know, add some um, other rules for lemmatization or, I don't know, just just add some more tests. So that, that's really, that's where we see most of the community contributions. And that's also where the community contributions are most valuable. Given the focus on rules and some of the fundamental NLP techniques, do you also track closely the more cutting edge stuff like uh, how, how does Spacey relate to, you know, these new models like BERT and GPT-2? Do you try to implement those and ship those with Spacey or are they kind of separate? Um, yeah, so we, I mean, we basically, so, our, you know, our, our mission has always been we take what's proven to work in research and bring it into production so people can use it reliably. So that's always um, been our focus. Okay. So, of course, we, we track what's going on. And then the next challenge is, OK, we have to see how are we implementing this in a way that it makes sense for people? Because, you know, often what's a bit unintuitive to people is that, well, you can't just, you know, you're not going to you can't just pip install BERT and then it will just like run magically in your uh, production application. But it's like, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's a bit of sometimes people have like, this idea is like oh what, what can be so hard about like just um you know giving us all of these models but um yeah so what we do is we, we see okay how can we make this work also how can we make this work with the performance targets we have like uh you know if you have a system you know like BERT where we um basically we predict the next word given you know the context and the previous words that's like that's all those models are very very large and they're also not necessarily very fast um and at Spacey, we have like, um, you know, performance target of like 10,000 tokens per second. That's pretty fast. So like, for example, for to be able to implement this sort of idea, we came up with um, kind of our own way of doing this. Uh, so what we're doing in Spacey is we're actually predicting the vector of the next word, which makes our models much, much smaller and makes it much, much faster. Uh, but actually, yeah, with the latest version of Spacey, we were able to ship um, a pre-training feature um, that um, basically... Um, you know, let's let's people use the very, those very new uh, transfer learning techniques uh, in NLP that that have made the headlines recently. That's a, that's a very cool thing. Yeah, can you elaborate a little bit more on that distinction? Uh, the distinction of predicting the vector of the next word as opposed to the next word, and how that gives you the performance increases. Well, basically, I mean, if you um, you know, if you predicting the vector, um, you're only predicting kind of an approximation, and we can also take advantage of pre-trained word vectors that we already have. So, like you know, something like word to vec. Um, we, we also ship like a pre-trained package and you can actually, so instead of always keeping track of, you know, all of the individual words and having representations of all of these words, we actually only have like kind of the rough meaning representation, the word vector. So, um, you know, we can predict that we can use, take, um, you know, we can take uh, advantage of uh, pre-trained word vectors we already have. 
um, and it basically makes it makes the overall artifact much smaller, um, and we can rely on that at runtime. So it makes it it basically makes it faster and smaller. And like you know, there's there's some other um, tricks that we have in Spacey in a way we um, you know store those vectors and um, you know cache the data um, that also you know contribute a bit to the performance. Um, and so yeah, we we tried this out. Um, we had we actually we had this idea. Um, for, for a while, but we're like, we weren't sure if it would work. We ran some tests. It looked good. And actually what was really great was that like, while we were um, trying this out, someone actually published a paper showing that it worked with exactly kind of the same idea. And we were like, yay. Uh, they did like, <laughs> of course, of course they did like much better experiments and we could have ever done, we would have done. And, um, you know, they really did this well. So we were like, okay, that, that gave us a lot of confidence. And yeah, so we actually, yeah, we just shipped that with Spacey 2.1. And there, there are a lot of other things we also like, you know, uh, working on. It basically does have like its own neural network model implementations. Um, we actually have kind of our own little library for that. Uh, so it is, you know, it's, we're obviously very keen to keep up with what works, but it's also not like, you know, if you want to try out some, the latest like model architecture by, you know, in, in some paper that was recently published and compare that and hack around with it, that's maybe, Spacey is maybe not the best choice for that because, you know, we give you one, the implementation once it's ready and once it's usable. And so is Spacey, is it pure Python or is it written in C un, un, uh, Cython, underneath yes. or Cython? Uh, Cython. So yeah, so it's uh, Python with C extensions. Yeah. Okay. And the the NLP stuff that you're doing, are you writing that in Cython? Are you writing that, like, are you, do you ever like popping down in the C to get speed or is it all done in Python? Um, I mean, it, it depends. Like some aspects of the library where actually, you know, that um, that really matters um, is written in Cython. Other parts we can write in pure Python. I mean, it's kind of a nice, that's the nice thing about Cython is that you can actually write Python, but can take advantage of the C whenever you need that. And it still all looks like Python, which, you know, makes it, at least makes it a bit more approachable. Um, it still means that, okay, maybe for some contributors, it's a bit of a barrier because it's just like, I don't know, you have to know some arbitrary stuff. Um, it needs to be compiled, um, so it's maybe not as approachable as a pure Python project. Um, but yeah, so it's I'm not even sure. I'm not sure it's fifty fifty. It's like probably a bit less. Like the mostly the models, of course, the model implementations, are obviously in Cython, then some other, um, you know, all the stuff that all the all the objects, uh, container objects, all that like kind of infrastructure that needs to be really fast. Um, yeah, and then some Python around it. Okay. Yeah, I'm not from all that familiar with with Cython. I assume that it was Python with an underlying C implementation, but it sounds like you're a bit more exposed to the C part uh, with Cython if you're doing um, compiling and stuff like that. Uh, well, yeah, you you in the end you compile it, but it's more like what I meant was like okay, the syntax. Like I don't know if you if you look at okay, if you even if you look at Spacey source and you look at look at the code and what it looks like, it's you, you know you'll be able to read it because it looks. Um, it's Python. Okay. Like the syntax yeah. is very, you know, is will, will look very familiar. They're just like some, you know, some little uh, things that look a bit different. Okay. But, yeah. And is uh, is Spacey uh, as well a commercial product for Explosion, or is is Prodigy the first commercial product? Uh, Prodigy is def- Prodigy is our first commercial product, and we also we, it was very important to us to kind of have a clear distinction between like the open source library and um, how we make money. Um, I mean, at least in terms of, okay, what, you know, what you can use, like Spacey will always, Spacey is a free library and the code we believe is always, you know, that that's always going to be free and open source. And instead we think that actually it's much, 
nicer to um, to monetize all the you know the space around it. Like for example, um, you know we can say, hey, if you if you power user of Spacey and you really like our open source software, we have something else that uh, you know you might be interested in. Which you know, our first product of our first example of this is um, Prodigy. So um, you know we we actually think it's like you know there was this there's a lot of talk around like oh how do you monetize open source and uh, we think that having a very clear separation between okay here's our free library here's our free product and here's our paid product um it's actually very useful and very good mm-hmm. do you also provide commercial support for spacey no so we've okay. actually that's <laughs> that's that's another thing like you know we, of course it's, this is also a com- a very common like business model and it's yeah. it is what a lot of people do and um and, you know in some cases it works it actually works quite well because you can have like you know especially in, in like infrastructure cloud stuff there's there's a big space for like that sort of stuff but for us we always felt like you end up if you also if you're the vendor um, and you're also like the author of um, you know the product. Uh, you often end up in this really weird situation where you want to you want to provide like a, as much free support as possible. Like you want to have really great documentation. You want to have all of um, that stuff because you want people using the library. But at the same time, you sort of want you want people to pay you to help them with it. And if you you know if your software is like quite easy to use. Um, well, then, you know, you're making less money because people don't actually need you. Um, if you make your docs shit, cool, people will actually come and want to pay you for <laughs> providing the docs. But then, you know, you, you're soon running out of customers because you're, right. you know, your product is so shit that nobody's going to use it. So right. that's, that's kind of, that is a real dilemma. And it's like, to be fair, okay, in machine learning, there's a lot more actually any, you know, support wouldn't necessarily be support in terms of, hey, how do I install this? or how do I write this kind of logic? It's more like, how should I structure my NLP project? So how should I do that kind of stuff? But um, we actually think there's, you know, you can, uh, pe- people people say, oh, you can run lots of companies. But like in reality, you could run one company. Like you could really only run one company. And we were like, okay, the company we want to wa- run where we have the best like edge and what, you know, where we actually, you know, like also what we enjoy doing is building developer tools. It's not running a support company. Can you talk a little bit about Prodigy and the focus there? Is it uh, specifically focused on annotation for NLP types of problems or or textual data sets, or uh, is it broader than that? I mean, in general, I would say um, more generally machine learning. But of course, I would I, I think our of course the NLP support is probably um, the best because that's also I mean. In compared to the other um, areas of machine learning, also just because that's what we also know best. So I would say, um, okay, maybe we have we have a bit more um, in there for, that's useful for NLP compared to uh, computer vision. Okay. Um, but the idea is basically, yes, it's an annotation tool for data science and machine learning, and um, it was basically inspired by us, like you know, very early on in the company for a few months, we took on some consulting projects, and we saw that like one topic that always came up in every single or everyone we talked to um, was labeling data. And also this whole like, okay, you you know, a lot of companies would either do it in like Excel spreadsheets or they just send it off to Mechanical Turk, then they'd get it back, train a model, wouldn't work. Um, people were very, yeah, very, were not very happy with their workflows around that. And there was, we kind of saw a gap for like, um, actually a tool that lets the data scientists get a bit closer to that sort of data collection process. Because um, if you just, a lot, if you... just outsource that completely you're actually outsourcing a lot of the decisions about how your model is going to perform and what what your model is going to do because the you know ultimately the labels are uh, what you're going to predict and how your application is going to work right and that's actually quite ineffective so instead um what we what we're suggesting is a much much closer workflow um where the data scientist can or the um, developers engineer whatever uh can be um, involved in the initial 
labeling process. Um, basically, you know, you can you can write little Python scripts that queue up the work. You can try out concepts um, much more quickly because we've built a very very efficient, very fast interface that lets you move through the examples quickly. Um, we have some approaches where you can try and put a model in the loop. And um, instead of you know doing everything from scratch, correcting the model's predictions, and BID is sure it's the, we're not saying oh the data scientist just has to do it all themselves by hand, but you can actually you know you can uh, label a few thousand examples in an hour, and then train your model, see if your idea worked. Most likely it won't work because nothing ever works on the first try, or most things <laughs> will never work at all in data science, and that's just the reality of things. And are you saying, okay, you need to, you know, if you can find what fails quicker and find what succeeds quicker as well, um, you're actually going to be more successful. And that, that's, that was what motivated um, Prodigy and the way we set it up as a developer tool and not just as some like platform. It's interesting that you describe it like that as a developer tool and not just some platform, because when I think about the things that you've done, it in my head, it sounds a lot more like a platform than a developer tool yeah. in the sense of, you know, for example, you talk about how you can put the model in a loop. And I've heard Prodigy come up in a number of conversations in the context of active learning. And that starts to sound to me a lot more like platform than, you know, tool like in Excel or some other kind of desktop thing that's just allowing me to like crank through a bunch of text or images and put labels next to stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think the, one of the big differences as well is that, like, okay, we built developer tools and all our tools are very privacy, data privacy focused. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Spacey, you install that, you run it on your machine. Um, it's not just like some software as a service API. And also it's, you know, it's just like an open source. Um, ah, got it. And the same with uh, Prodigy is it's not like, you know, an open so free open source product, but it's a product and it's a library as well. And you can download it, you install it in, on your own machine. It works completely offline and it just like runs on your hardware. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, you know, it feels a bit more, you know, like I always I often compare to like, you know, this, remember um, Adobe Creative Suite before they went all cloud, you know, you could actually, you could buy Photoshop and then you would download Photoshop and then you would have it. Right. And right. then they wouldn't take it away from you and you could use it. And then if in two years you pick up your design project, it's all still there because you still have Photoshop. And mm -hmm. that's also, that's kind of, that's, that's also what, how we see these things. And that's also how Prodigy functions, at least the, you know, the developer tool version. Got it. And yeah. And, and also because, you know, people, another thing is actually, so our, um, we call this let them write code. It's basically de developers can program and they like to program. And often instead of coming up with like very complex, arbitrary configuration languages and APIs uh, to do stuff. Often the best way to configure a program or configure something that you want to do is to write a few lines of code. So um, Prodigy can be configured fully in a Python script. So if you, you want to let load some data from some arbitrary database that you have and then like filter it that way, we're like, cool, can you write that in Python? Yes, cool, you can use it. So that's that's another thing where I think the developer tool um, angle comes in and also it's something that people actually really, really like about this. Developers generally like tools that don't lock them in and tools that they can interact with via a programming language, mm -hmm. naturally. Can you uh, elaborate on that last uh, example and maybe, or maybe provide an example of, you know, just the user experience of, of Prodigy and, you know, for a given use case and what are, what's the code that you might need to write and how you might integrate a model in a loop? Like how do all the pieces fit together? 
Yeah, so we have um, we do have a few like built-in workflows. So it's like you know you can use it, and maybe you never you know you don't often have to really write your own code from scratch. But the idea is at the center of it are recipes we call it, which are Python functions. So they're Python functions that we turn into um, a command. So one of them could be okay. Let's say you have some raw text you want to load in, and you have a pre-trained model that you've downloaded from Spacey that can predict uh, person names. But because your text is like obviously quite specific, and maybe you're working in like finance or something, and it has like person names or organization names that are quite different from like some generic pre-trained model. So you're like, okay, you want to see, hmm, can I improve that pre-trained model on my data so it performs a bit better? So you can run one of these command line scripts, you um, load, pass in the path to your data file, you pass in the pre-trained model you want to use, you pass in some labels, and then you start that up, and then you get the annotation interface, and it will highlight a prediction from the model, and you can say, yep, that's correct, or you can say, no, that's wrong. And what under the hood, what, it, what we do there is we load up the model, and we'll get all possible predictions um, for, your, for each example. And then... Um, all of these uh, possible predictions will come with a score. And then we've, um, by default, we'll focus on the scores that are closest to 0.5. So the ones where um, the model is most uncertain, mm-hmm. um, basically. So that's that's also what's referred to as uh, uncertainty sampling in active learning. So the idea here is if we focus on the ones where like um, the model isn't sure, that's also where your decision will have the highest impact. If you're only labeling things where the model is like super confident that is correct, the Labels and the annotations you provide have like, um, you know, also the, the gradient from that is just less significant than if you focus on the ones um, where the model, um, yeah, isn't sure at all whether it's like A or B or nothing. Or, and so, yeah, so that's that's one possible workflow that you could use. And then, you know, that's actually super fast. You know, you're just clicking yes or no. You're focusing on one thing at a time. You can easily collect a few hundred annotations in like uh, 10, 15 minutes. And then you can run a little training uh, command, update your model and just see um, what the results look like. They're obviously not going to be like the most, you know, they're not going to be the de- definitive results that you can report at the end, but they give you some idea whether what you had in mind there is good or not. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you see that like the model's not learning anything, then you have at least some idea that like hmm, maybe uh, my idea wasn't that great or maybe it's just more difficult than I thought it would be. Or if you're like, oh, accuracy is going up, that looks promising. I should spend a bit more time on that. One of the things I hear from folks uh, is about the need to kind of drive repeatability into the process of collecting and labeling data and producing models. Does the fact that Prodigy is a standalone tool get in the way of doing that? Or are there ways to kind of fit it into a broader pipeline or workload that allow you to establish uh, some degree of repeatability or consistency? Yeah. No, I think um, in the end, you know, if you, for example, if you're writing your own functions, you can actually have, you know, the script that you can, you know, you can commit your script to your GitHub repository and you have that and everyone can always, you know, reproduce the logic you use to, for example, select your examples. Um, And also, I mean, another thing um, that we think is quite important is that a lot of problems people have down the line often come down to um, Problems with, uh, you know, the label scheme and how the task is defined in the first place. Um, So, uh, you know, often you're like, oh, I want to label like, you know, I want my model to predict this or my system needs to do X. And often people approach this from the very end-to-end viewpoint. And often that's not necessarily the one that like uh, works best. And any label scheme, any anything 
you know, basically defining what you want your model to predict often needs lots of iterations. And once you, you know, once you get that right, you're often, um, that's where it really starts working. Is there a specific example of that uh, that comes to mind? Um, so for example, I mean, one, um, one thing we see a lot is that like people, people often start, you know, a machine or a data science project often starts with like, um, you know, so a defined set of categories that you want to, uh, for example, uh, categorize your texts into. So you might have like something like, you know, the, um, different type, different types of clothing, for example, and you want to, you know, extract, uh, that from like your customer emails. And so you have like, you know, you start, the data scientist starts off with like a very broad catalog of like every type of clothing we offer and every type of clothing that like the system needs to categorize. And then often, you know, one approach could be, okay, well, we need to take our a few million examples or, uh, you know, emails and have someone label them and select out of our um, hundreds of clothing types, what clothing types are mentioned. And I mean, this, this sounds like a very straightforward approach, but often probably, uh, you know, at some point down the line, you'll notice that like your machine learning model is actually really, really bad at distinguishing adult shoes from kids shoes uh for example mm -hmm. in you know the like brand names or um you know summer coat and winter coats you know that's something maybe maybe you can you know but like that's probably something that's very quite that could be quite difficult to predict just on the basis of like the raw text and the surrounding words so you know one one approach that you could then after, you know, you try this out, you realize, ah, my model's not learning anything. And then you know, you're like, okay, how could I improve that? One approach could be you start with a much more broader definition. You start, okay, first I'll let my model label whether something is clothing. You know, you can start, okay, start collecting some data for that um, and then train it. Okay, actually looks pretty good. Uh, next step, okay, maybe we can add another model component that then given a clothing um, item or clothing brand, can then, um, you know, assign it to one of our, um, you know, entries in a knowledge base or to a more fine-grained uh, category and so on. Like, that's just one one example that just came, that came to mind. And in, in the end, you know, that, that, that stuff really matters. That's like, you know, you end up at the same results, but um, the process, how you got there is very, very different. And it takes, it can easily take a few iterations uh, to get to the point uh, where you, you kind of, you have a good idea for what what can my model learn and um, what's actually feasible and what machine learning tasks do I have to break this larger, very abstract business goal into? I'm curious, what are some of the things, you know, the, the NLP space, as with all of uh, machine learning is, you know, changes rapidly, lots of exciting stuff happening. We talked about yeah. uh, some of that in terms of these new language models. I'm curious, what are you most excited about in this space? Mm, so definitely, I mean, the, the, the transfer learning stuff was definitely like a big uh, breakthrough because we've always, for quite a long time, we were like, okay, this should this should be possible. And um, it was kind of, you know, I think for, for many people in the space, it was kind of clear, like, okay, at some point, hopefully someone's going to show, here's how we should do it. And um, especially the fact that like, um, you know, we can potentially pre-train um, embeddings that would um, allow us to get much, much better results much more quickly with um, significantly fewer examples. And that doesn't mean that, like, um, you know, labeling examples becomes less relevant. Actually, uh, you know, I think it, it means, it, you know, you can try out more and it becomes a lot more relevant because, um, you know, cool, if you only need, like, 200 labeled examples to really get a um, very definitive idea of whether um, what you're trying to train works or not, that means you can, like, you know, you can train much, much more quickly and you can train so many more models so much faster. Um, you can try out so many more ideas. Um, and I think I think that's, like, that's super exciting. 
and um, yeah, it's really cool to see this already working quite well. Uh, are there other things ha- happening that are that you're particularly paying attention to? Mm, let me think. Um, so, I mean, one one thing we like, I can I can talk about one thing we're working on at the moment is entity linking, which I also think is really cool. So basically, you know, the, the concept of you have like a person name and you want to link that back to a knowledge base. And it sounds, um, you know, the kind of concept sounds sounds quite simple, but it's actually, you know, there's a lot you have to consider and you actually, you know, you want to, you have a mention of um, Apple or like actually, I'm, I'm trying to think of a better, like more, um, you know, ambiguous example, but like there, there are a lot of these like names and there, there are different options. It depends on the context and, you know, you want to assign those back to large knowledge bases. Yeah, that's a feature um, that's, yeah, maybe not as like, ooh, shiny, um, new cutting edge stuff, but it's actually another one that like people really need people really want and that's going to make a huge difference for people using nlp uh for a variety of like business use cases and industry use cases a a feature like that is are you typically well not typically but in this case are you attacking that using traditional rules-based or heuristic types of approaches or machine learning or neural nets like where in the spectrum uh, you know what, what? Which of the tools do you use to you know build out a feature like that? Um, I mean, well, it, it depends on the feature. Like um, you know, in this case, it's it is a combination of machine learning and um, kind of uh, kind of ties in uh, with the rule based approaches. It also ties in with like the neural network models we already have, uh, which are the models that actually predict entities in the first place. Um, so, I mean, it, it really de- like it, it always depends on the. Um, on the use case, but like what, you know, for us, what matters is, well, what works best and what's, what's fast, what's efficient and what actually, um, works best, what generalizes best and what's, um, customizable because, you know, ultimately it's nice if we can provide people with a pre-trained model that happens to work quite nicely on, you know, some academic benchmark task. But what people really want to do is they want to plug in their own data and they want to plug in their own stuff and they want to plug in their own like ideas and uh, goals. And so that that's also kind of how we decide how to approach a thing. Like, you know, we're not we're you know, we're not in a position where we have to, you know, come up with like what's what's a good paper to write. Like that's you know, right, that's another right. very um I'm, I'm not even, you know, dismissing that. That's a very like um, you know, genuine, like um, you know, valid motivation that people in research would have. But what's you know, a good paper is not necessarily what like, you know, people actually will find like the most useful as a in a practical application. If you were Starting over with Spacey, are there things that you do very differently? Oh, that's 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 a really good question. Actually, I'm not I'm not sure if <laughs> I've, I've thought about this much. I mean, there there's there obviously some API decisions that like um uh I would have I would have done differently, or we we, we should have we would have probably um done differently. Just like I mean, it's, it's mostly just like small small stuff where you know you design something one way and then you realize ah that's actually super that's kind of confusing or like mm-hmm. kind of taking on this life of its own and sends the wrong doesn't send the right message. Um ah, we should have done this differently. Otherwise, you know, it, of course it depends on like it always depends on okay what you have like available and you know what what was like possible at the time. But actually I think I'm quite happy with like you know, the, the progression, like, sure, there's some, sometimes I wish, like, you know, we would have had, like, more time uh, that we could have, like, you know, spent on the project mm-hmm. uh, to work on that, because, okay, you know, it was very important for us to stay independent and be independent. So, um, you know, while we were, like, initially, like, bootstrapping the company, um, yeah, we had a bit less time. Um, but, yeah, like, in hindsight, like, I'm very happy with how things turned out. And, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, on that theme of independence, and you previously mentioned that you intend for uh, Explosion to remain a small company. Talk a little bit about that uh, and your motivation or philosophy there and, um, you know, maybe, you know, any thoughts for folks that are also interested in kind of contributing in the space, um, you know, but aren't necessarily excited about doing it in the, in the context of a large company. Yeah. I mean, for us, like we've um, basically, I mean, you already, if, you know, you already see this in all kinds of other software projects that like most, a lot of software is actually written by a very, very small number of people. Like even if you look at very large, like libraries, it's, um, you know, it's not like, you know, thousands of people kind of wrote on, you know, worked on the same piece of code. Um, it's like often development teams are very small and like for a reason, because, you know, it's like, you know, writing a novel with like 200 people that's like you know that's a fun art project but that's not that's not necessarily like you know that's not going to be the best n novel you've mm -hmm. ever read so um you know software teams are often by definition are quite small and um another thing is that actually by being quite small you can really take a lot of advantage of um you know very um diverse uh, skill sets that uh, that large companies can't necessarily so you know large companies often hire in a very particular way um because you have to hire in a way that makes your team more interchangeable like you you know you need people you need a lot of people that are quite similar because you know you if you're scaling this up um that's kind of the most efficient but if you if you're a small team you can actually um you know hire a lot of people with very um specific skills that work for um you know specific tasks then you can have people with kind of overlapping skills people with a broad foundation in one um, technology, but who also have done like other things. Like it's typically, it's often referred to as T-shaped skills because, you know, kind of like a T-shirt. So you have like, I, I've always found this a super weird metaphor because like it's a T-shirt, but like, you know, you have a broad, <laughs> kind of a broad foundation and then like these like arms. But um, I've, I've started calling it more like, you know, I think of it more as like tree-shaped skills. You know, you have like the stem and then you have all these like branches and you can have like, uh, you know, you can have small branches, you can have big branches, you can have like different branches in different directions. Branches can overlap overlap with like some other tree. You can grow new branches, which actually this is another reason like, yeah, I hate the t-shirt metaphor because it's like a t-shirt can only like get worse uh, once it's like there. Whereas a tree, you know, a tree, a tree can grow. There's like life in it. But basically that, that's sort of, that's the idea we've had like um, for our team. We can actually, you know, really have like, um, uh, you know, complementary skills uh, in a team um, and, you know, really take advantage of that. And it's not like, you know, it's not like large companies are not doing that because they're like stupid and don't see this. They like can't because of, you know, they, they operate slightly differently. So, um, yeah, like we don't, we are small, but we're still, you know, we can still do things and it's still, I, yeah, there's one anecdote that like I sometimes tell in this kind of context, which is uh, we once we were asked um, whether our company would pass the bus test because for someone who wanted to buy our software, this was like um, this was important. And yeah, to yeah, if someone yeah, for anyone who doesn't know what the bus test is, it's like it's a varying number of people, but it's basically if four people were run over by a bus tomorrow, would your company still exist? And at that time, we were like two people were like, no, we'd be minus two. <laughs> and, but it's also it's, it's a very weird concept the, the, the person ended up buying prodigy anyways but like um it's 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 an interesting framework that some people use and that i don't think makes much sense because essentially you're always asking like well how interchangeable are like your people and um you know who could you afford to like spare in a bus accident mm -hmm. and yeah yeah so we i've always found this kind of weird and like yeah. we don't pass the we proudly do not pass the bus tests um we kind of pass it now but like we'd be in a pretty bad state 
An interesting anecdote along those lines. I was just this morning reading uh, an article about, uh, long story, this lawsuit that uh, Hertz is apparently suing Accenture for oh, I read that. botching yeah. this uh, digital transformation project. It was going around on Twitter. And yeah, yeah. if you, you read the, as a $35 million project to build some website, uh, that kind of integrates into, uh, their reservation systems, kind of, the, you know, update their yeah. website. Uh, and you, you read the lawsuit and all of the things that, you know, could have been done so much better on, on both sides. But, you know, in particular, there's this one point where they talked about how kind of Accenture had full ownership of this project and there were two people that knew the project and they pulled them <laughs> off and put them onto something else. And that was one of the reasons why this thing got delayed by two years and never got finished. Yeah. And then, I mean, they built a website that wasn't responsive and like everything was, it was so insecure. It was like unusable. Where right. I'm like, wow, right. that's, that's like, that's almost, that's a skill. Like, you know, it's, you can build so much stuff nowadays that like works okay, even if it's kind of crap. So there, there's, there's so many lessons there, but the, the thing that, that connected to what you were speaking was, you know, even Accenture, you know, in this case, couldn't pass the bus test. Yeah. Right? They pulled these two people off and, you know, that was a significant uh, contributor to the failure of this project. So, yeah. So I, I think it's a very bizarre metric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so that that was one of the things we, we saw this early on. We we're like, well, we could, you know, we already do it. We were already doing great stuff when we were two people. Okay, if we have a few more people and they're the right people, we can do even more stuff. And that's like, fine. We also get to, you know, focus a lot more on the core work because we have fewer distractions that, you know, you'd normally have if you, you know, not like if you, for example, if you're running at a loss, which is also something we said, okay, we don't want to be doing. We actually, because I think, you know, for there, there are many legitimate reasons why your company would want to start and run at a loss or at a significant loss very early on and why you would have to, um, you know, where you need capital and why you would have to make the decision to sell equity in order to function. But um, we were always in a you know, very good position that we didn't have to do that. Um, and so also we thought, okay, for what we're doing, there's absolutely no logical reason we would have to be running at a loss. Um, we can actually run at a profit because we can have a product and people can buy our product and then, you know, we can sell more products and we can make more products right. and do more things. And then people can, you know, give us money and then we can spend less money than that. And then we'll have some money. <laughs> left over. It's kind of, it's a very crazy concept, but like, you know, it works. Virtuous cycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that, that was, that was another, um, thing that really you know, helped us, uh, you know, stay focused and yeah, do our things and also be, being able to really, you know, you, you know, it's one thing you can validate your ideas. Like, um, by, I don't know, talking to people, doing like surveys and doing like all kinds of things. But like in the end, making a profit and making money is like a very, very good way to validate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's also a very honest way of validate. Like, that, you know, you, money doesn't really lie. Like if nobody wants to buy your product, then well, nobody wants to buy your product. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's, that's a pretty clear sign. And um, on the other hand, okay, if you, if you see, cool, what I'm doing works, people like it so far, People are interested in buying that. That's a very good, you know, that's a very good way to validate your ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, we see this. That's that's a much better KPI than a lot of other things. Well, Ines, thank you so much for taking the time to share what you're up to. It's great getting to know you and Explosion and Spacey and Prodigy a little bit better. Uh, I really enjoyed our chat. Yeah, thanks. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. 
To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.